Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name is Dan Martin, special effects artist and shut him, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host. Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director, and I am now also a composer. Um, because uh, to pass the time in these lockdown days, I've been returning to little bits and pieces of music, um, which has been quite fun. How have you gotten through your your lockdown period let's just talk about this up front and then uh, and then we'll yeah here we get the, out of the way yeah um a lot of cooking nice which i'm really enjoying um made sourdough pizzas the other night oh, wow. which were astonishingly good i couldn't couldn't have been happier uh tony psychotronic tony um made a sourdough starter for us a few uh a few days ago so this was the first outing of that he made the dough and i did all the sort of toppings and stuff Excellent. and it was uh yeah it was great that was really nice um jen has been showing me the ways of the garden so i've been getting into a bit of gardening i'm still working on my board game i built myself an auto queue so i can do some stories to camera um <laughs> i've got lots going on so are you um are you gonna actually like read some stories on youtube yeah 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 so i've um so mark blackman who regular listeners will remember from the miracle mile episode very very generously lent me a c300 camera and i have built a um i've built a a working auto queue uh so i can feed narrative like feed text documents into that and and read while looking down the barrel of the camera. Excellent. So I've uh, I did a little test of that earlier today. Um, I've got some stuff to print. I printed a little three D mount for the bottom of it, so I can put it on a on my tripod in front of the camera, so it's at the right height. And uh, and then I just have to work out where the hell I'm going to film it. But yeah, I'm going to do a few of those. See how they go. They um, hopefully they'll see the light of the day in the next couple of weeks. Fantastic. Well, I, I will look forward to watching those. Um, but before we do that. We watched something else, didn't we? We watched The Howling 2 for this week's episode. Um, we did indeed. And how shall we do this, Dan? Because it's a slightly unusual one, isn't it? Um, it's is, it, is this the first, quote-unquote, bad movie we've done? Um... I don't know. I, like, I feel like we've definitely, ta- we've definitely talked about movies that you watch because they're a shit show and that's fun i don't know if we've actually covered one for the podcast but we've i mean we've talked about movies that we didn't both like or that we didn't necessarily think were great oh absolutely but but enjoyed anyway yeah yeah so yeah i mean this is it's kind of a quintessential example of that though exactly that that's that's kind of what i wanted to get into because i think you know, normally we can talk about uh, the quality of the filmmaking, we can talk about performances, we can talk about, you know, production design, loads of different things. Um, but this time we can't really talk about that stuff because it's all pretty I feel, shit. I feel, like, I feel like we definitely can talk about all that stuff for, for precisely that reason. <laughs> I mean, uh, we'll definitely talk about the special effects because... Yeah. Um, there's a, a kind of wonderful little featurette on the disc and obviously, you know, as a, a, a special effects wizard, as a genius, um, I'm sure you'll have some opinions on the way they went about this. <laughs> um, I mean, should we get into the the, the man-monkey-wolf situation? 
Yeah, I mean that seems to be a little bit of a mess in the in the direct. So just to bring the audience up to speed, uh, there is there's some fantastic extras on the disc, and um, and they go into this uh, at length. Although you do get slightly conflicting stories. The director maintains that they were actually sent to the suits from one of the Planet of the Apes movies. Yes. To the extent that he says that on the side of the crate that was shipped, it said Universal Studios, Planet of the Apes. This is not true. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he is allowing the retelling of the story to become more important than the content of the story. Um, the uh, the effects guys, or two of the three on-set effects guys, talk at length on the... Um, on the disc and that's really good um yeah basically the uh berman studio who did the the werewolf suits for this ended up with suits that felt a little more primate than perhaps anyone had intended the effects guys say that it was just due to inexperience as far as making furred suits go and they'd sculpted all this musculature and and these you know these creatures and they just ended up with all the extra fur on top that ended up being quite apey in the body and that hadn't helped these sort of shorter snouted more um yeah like slightly more simian looking werewolves although to be completely honest i've seen this movie a bunch of times and i've never thought they look like monkeys and there is that bit in it where um christopher lee says before man can turn into wolf he goes through many different stages he has to de-evolve which the director talks about being a sort of a thing that lee suggested as a as a get around for these accidentally shipped planet of the apes like costumes but given that that's not true I don't know whether or the origin of that was true. It's possible that they were always that was always in the script, and that's why Berman went the direction he did. Oh, that's interesting. Know. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think of that, but yeah, you're, you're completely right. Interesting. To be honest, I've only ever seen this film once, and that was when we watched it together. Um, yeah, back when we used to live together. And uh, I guess part of the reason I thought it would be a good one to cover on the podcast was we had such a riotous good time watching it and laughing at lots of different things. However, in these dark times where people can't necessarily gather together with their friends, I wouldn't necessarily recommend that, you know, someone sits down and watches this uh, on a solitary watch. Um, I think that, that would be madness. (laughs) <laughs> you could do it as a zoom party yeah there you go exactly we've i've, I've done a we've done a couple of uh, film like group film watches it's quite fun oh that's good yeah it's nice it, it's just such a such a bizarre film like it feels really really and very quickly feels very garth merengue and i do yeah wonder if this film was an influence in some way because um yeah from the kind of opening moments where it's Christopher Lee floating in space uh, with a skeleton <laughs> with a skeleton <laughs> delivering his monologue that literally could be um ripped from Garth Marenghi's Dark Place if they could afford Christopher Lee um yeah I don't know how these guys afforded Christopher Lee I know, right? like they afforded very much else and it, Lee always referred to it as like his personal shame <laughs> this movie yeah, well, um, apparently on the set of Gremlins 2, he apologised to Joe Dante um, for yeah. being in this film. So, uh, yeah. Um, but bless him, you know, he, he'd never done a werewolf film and obviously he, he was kind of fed up of being known as a vampire um, long before 
he made this film and so uh, uh, he decided to jump at the opportunity to make a werewolf movie and I guess on paper it probably would have looked like a decent project like the first one um, was a, a decent enough film and did well and all, and all that kind of stuff um, but honestly this film is fucking mad it's got diamond wipes in it's the got edit. yeah it's got so many shape wipes like they've literally <laughs> just used each one once yeah I think the exactly. only thing it, it, <laughs> I can't remember if it's got any if it's got a clock wipe in it, but it's got like it's got everything. It's amazing. Yeah, and but I, one of one of my notes just says so many shaped wipes. <laughs> yeah, it's um, got shape wipes. It's got like a weird Jerry Anderson puppet show. Yeah, um, it's got, it's Jim, got Jimmy Nail. Yeah, it's got it, Jimmy Nail who can punk. do one American accent, and that <laughs> is Lummox. <laughs> um, yeah, Christopher Lee's a, a undercover as a new wave punk. For no real reason. Yeah, that's never really explained. It's got, it completely doesn't give a fuck about the established rules of werewolves with them like transforming in the middle of the day in broad daylight. Yeah. yeah. Um, you've got uh, like this whole thing about, oh, this one's invulnerable to silver. So we've got to use titanium on her. <laughs> what? Just making up shit. And, and for no real reason as well, most of the time. <laughs> And, uh, you know, let's not forget, it's also got hairy boobs and werewolf sex. Yeah, um, the werewolf orgy, which is incredible. Fascinating. Well, before the the orgy, there's the um, menage a trois. um, Yes. um, Kind of like the living room scene in American Werewolf in London. Um, The furry menage a trois. But just more abhorrent. Yeah, like I say, it is a weird film. And um, I guess, you know, maybe we can get into... uh, We've touched on it in the past, as you say, but the different kinds of appeal of watching films. Like, you know, how do you tier your viewing experiences, Dan? Like, how do you prioritise stuff? Um, Well, I don't don't think it comes down to priority. Like, obviously, sometimes there are films I I feel I ought to watch, either because we're covering from the podcast, not that I ever find that a chore. But, like, you know, there are things that get on my my list with a date attached to them. Similarly, if something, you know, has a short window at the cinema or it's a a, a one-off retrospective screening or something, then obviously it puts a a diary entry next to it. It becomes time-sensitive. But the rest of the time, it's quite by ear. (laughs) Like, I've got a holistic uh attitude to how i choose what to watch although actually in the last couple of years the podcast has shaped the way i approach films because i do i'm definitely pickier if i if i've got a gap and i don't have anything planned i'm much more likely to think about something that has a high chance of being worth recommending Mm. rather than sticking on something easy which i which i'm really pleased about it sort of forced my hand away from some of the the more like pap stuff that maybe i would have consumed when i wasn't feeling mentally up to something so wait so like rather than you know watching a kind of modern kind of trashy american comedy on on netflix or amazon yeah. prime or whatever you'll delve into your disc cupboard and uh put on something that you think that could be recommended yeah, yeah yeah exactly i'll 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 go through something or, or maybe something that someone's recommended me something that i think has a good chance of being interesting even if not great you know like and i think that uh howling 2 definitely falls into that category it's a it's a really fun weird movie and it doesn't need to be good to be enjoyable yeah no absolutely it, 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 it's funny uh, i um 
was talking to uh, Rosie um, Rosie Fletcher, uh, who oh, used yeah, to be Rosie. Total Film, does stuff for SFX and, and lots of different places. And we had a, a little Zoom meeting uh, last night, and uh, it, it came up that because um, I've been doing some more book reviews recently, and um, I much prefer being given a kind of random horror novel to a random fantasy novel because um, I find bad fantasy really, really hard work. And it's the same in movies as well. Um, But I can read bad horror all day long. So that kind of translates to these kinds of like bad movie, you know, party type situations. Um, I, I can't really have as much fun watching say a bad gangster movie or a bad fantasy movie whatever it is but well, stick on any bad horror and i will have a oh, good time it's a delight yeah i mean i guess the only real sin is if something's boring yeah and there's much more leeway for something to be boring if it's just a bunch of cockney wankers swearing in a like a cheap set yeah exactly i i would say that fantasy is it, the stakes are higher. It's like bad, cheap fantasy is more likely to be boring bullshit because yeah. if the things that make it fun are innately more expensive, like it's it's one thing to have someone's eyes explode in The Howling 2, which is fucking awesome. Yeah. Doubly, doubly awesome because of how under sound affected it is. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like, it sounds like a dribbling tap. Yeah. Um, but like if you're going to have a fucking dragon or something, then that immediately becomes more of a concern. You know, that's a, a bigger thing to to achieve. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, I, uh, you know, when a, a cheap, ineffective fantasy film hits the mark, it's it can be as bonkers as anything, and and then they're just magical. Yeah. Yeah. I guess but, they're just more rare. Um, yeah. You, you, you've got to take a chance. Well, and, and actually, like, where this is a conversation we had on the American Wealth in London podcast. Um, werewolf films are the same. Like, I think because the, 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 a werewolf is one of the more expensive, like, things you can do in a, in a monster movie, there are a lot of very disappointing werewolf films. Mm. Hence, and uh, you're not going to believe this, but I have never seen The Howling. You've never seen the first Howling? No, I've only ever seen this one. And it's only oh, watched man. it because we stuck it on at your place. Oh, you should totally watch The Howling. It's a really solid film. Unfortunately, the very last effect of the movie is terrible. Oh, so it. it leaves a really dirty taste in your mouth. But it's... It, okay, so you know the bit in The Howling 2 where you see the woman being shot in the news studio? Yes. That is the end of Howling 1, but they have redone it with a different actress and different special effects. Oh, wow. And the special effects in Howling 2 are better than the special effects in Howling 1, even though in all other instances, the special effects in Howling 1 are better. Well, let's let's get back onto the special effects because I do want to talk about um, the, the interview. It's a, a Shout Factory featurette um, and it's talking to two of the guys. Uh, it's called A Monkey Phase. And I just, yeah. I thought it was fabulous. I really did. Like, um, you know, the bit where Steve Johnson's talking about crying on set and phoning his mum, the, the beehive in the workspace, the, yeah. the story about someone singing opera. I won't say any more than that. Um, <laughs> just really, really great stories. It's it's not that long. What is it? 15 minutes or something like something that. Like, but, yeah. Um, but it's packed full of great anecdotes. And it's even, it's even quite touching at the end. 
yeah, it's a great little extra. Well done, Shout well, Factory, and well done, Arrow, for including it. Yeah, it's really good. And and I think because, you know, those the two guys that they talk to are so, like, revered and respected in the industry now, but right. were so young at this point. Uh, Steve Johnson had had, um, had a bit more experience um, than Scott. Mm. Uh, but the, you know, they were still both relatively green, both very young. And, yeah, to be thrown this many gags and this many makeups on a film away from home as well. Like, you know, don't forget, this was shot behind the Iron Curtain. This was one of the first one of the first movies to be shot on the other side of the Berlin Wall. Yeah. Uh, that's, you know, that's a pretty intense experience. And apparently Christopher Lee was greeted like a hero at the airport because... Um, yeah, because he's, a, he's, a, he's like an assassination hero. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that stuff, man. Like, I, I sadly never interviewed Christopher Lee, but I imagine the man's presence must be absolutely insane. Um, obviously, his screen presence is, is pretty powerful. But, um, yeah, like, I, I just can't imagine... I can't imagine going from being... <laughs> a trained assassin um to tooling about on the set of howling too it just doesn't compute and the I, fact that, gonna... that both of those sets are you know both of those places are the same place um yeah that's, that's fucking weird it must have been very weird to be back where you where you were part of a team who assassinated an ss general exactly but, in, but, but this time you're dicking about in white sunglasses <laughs> surrounded like, by many monkey suits <laughs> yeah and a uh, and like a little person with a mace. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a great deal to say about this one. I, I mean, I'm, you know, uh, I'll talk a little bit about how I select stuff because, um, yeah, I guess the reason I brought up that topic was I do tend to try to avoid watching bad movies. I used to watch a lot of them and, um, you know, uh, with friends, like with you guys and, and with Georgia and, and all the rest of it who I've mentioned on the podcast before. Um, but these days, maybe it's because I'm getting older. Um, my time is more precious. And so yeah. uh, I'm, I always try to watch... Every film I watch is something I haven't seen before. And, you know, um, it's either a classic or something I'm reviewing or, or like you, some kind of exploitation-y type thing. Um that isn't known for being bad is known for or notorious for being bad, but it's notorious for a different reason. Um, those tend to be the kinds of films that I cycle through. So it was really fucking weird watching Howling Two for this. Were you? Did you watch it own. alone or did you? Watch yeah, it I watched it on my own, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is dragging so much." Yeah, like, that's that's not a good way to watch Jesus it. You need Christ. the chatter and the laughter to get you between, exactly. like, from effect to effect, from weird like yeah exactly <laughs> With hairy tits and it kind of and i can totally see why arrow would pick this up and you know they, they, it's got a, a good chunk of extras it's the normal great job that they do um and you can see why they pick it up it's a sequel to a very well-known movie it's got christopher lee in it and and it is mad however i think it reflects very well on arrow video that this um what is it two years down the line is the first yeah openly bad movie that we're covering like you say there's been films that i haven't liked that we've covered but you know i can kind of respect them from a distance. more objective yeah whereas, yeah. whereas everyone this... has to acknowledge that this is subjectively shit <laughs> <laughs> i mean like 
I'm sorry for anyone listening to this. We are going to spoil the very end because, um, you know, skip forward a few minutes if, if you'd like. But the end where it just loops Sybil Danning. Well, but it like it, it, it loops Sybil Danning revealing her breasts with reaction shots culled from other places in the film, including, and this is the real chef's kiss on the credit sequence, an owl. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I remember us crying with laughter at that when uh, yeah. when we first watched it together. But um, my God, the the and now you know, then I hadn't made any films, and and I thought it was a strange decision. <laughs> now I've made films. What on earth possessed them? What on earth possessed them to end their film in this way? It's astonishing. And the director is sort of like he's quite pleased about it. But then when pushed in the interview, he sort of acknowledges that it wasn't him. <laughs> Someone else, someone else did it. He's like, "Yep, fine. If you can get away with it, do it." Yeah, or, or not even if you can get away with it. Like, if if you're crazy enough to try, then you know, yeah. by all means, maybe he thought that they would give it a try, realize that it was lunacy and and not include it in the film. But yeah, it was a producer, I think. Um, uh, but yeah, I guess there are some quite mad producers out there. Uh, but yeah, uh, any final thoughts on the Howling Two, Dan? Uh, I like that it exists in a shared universe with Blackadder. Yes, who because we who see... appears in the background. <laughs> yeah, literally, Dan, in my notes, my very first note is Blackadder in the opening tapestry. <laughs> is... <laughs> I'm, glad, I'm glad you circled back round to that, because, yeah, it, yep. it is actually him. I'll, uh, I, I photographed it off the screen. I'll, I'll, I'll try and remember to tweet it when this goes up. I think we uh, photographed but, 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 it last time as well. <laughs> Yeah, we did. We lost our lost our collective shit at that. Yeah. Um, one of the other things, uh, this it's shot in and around Prague and other places uh, in Czech Republic and and what you well what used to be the Czech Republic, and it's um, that area of Europe is is quite dense comparatively in ossuaries, and I think I hadn't realised the last time we watched this, but a lot of the the bone rooms and stuff you see in it are almost certainly real locations. Mm. They're, they're genuine bone churches and bone storage spaces under churches that um, that they've just gone and filmed in, which is quite astonishing when you think about how like revered those places are, that they just let these lunatics turn up. <laughs> their monkey suits and their hairy tits. Yeah, absolute uh, lunacy. Um, romp around in these churches. Yeah, and just quickly, we've talked about it a little bit, but um, there's a couple of commentaries here, um, one with the composer and the editor together, and then one with the director um, on his own, sort of, because they're not strict commentaries. It's more kind of interviews that are happening while the yeah. movie's on. Um, there are moments when what's being talked about connects with what's on screen, but those moments are kind of rare. Um, but yeah, you know, I prefer the director's one. If you only listen to one, probably make it that yeah. one. Um, he's very fun and honest and, and pretty funny. Um, uh, yeah, so I think that that about covers it, really. It's very high energy. Should we move on to recommendations? Yeah, let's do that. All right. Do you want to what go first? You got based on Howling Two. All right, I'll go first because I think that there's very um, a very small chance that, that we're no, there's we're zero over. chance. Yeah, I, I think zero chance because I've gone super mainstream uh, this fortnight, and I've mentioned it already, but I have to urge you, dear sweet precious Arrowhead. If you're one of these fools who have not yet sat down to watch Gremlins 2, 
then for the love <laughs> of God, do that before watching Howling 2. Gremlins 2 is a masterpiece. Um, and it's kind of... It obviously shares an actor, Christopher Lee, and um, it is uh, a very different and very um, uh, lunatic sequel to an original, but uh, its lunacy is superbly entertaining. There is not a boring moment in Gremlins 2. I love it so much. Um, I I used to... uh, I think it came out when I was in primary school, and um, we had to do a project where we made a book at school and I made a film magazine by cutting up bits of old film magazines and sticking it into a book. And there was a, a quite a, a significant chunk of that magazine dedicated to Gremlins 2. had the book, I had the Amiga 500 game, I had uh, the soundtrack on cassette, I love this film. So, yes, any excuse to recommend it. Gremlins 2, watch it and then tweet me um, because if you love this film, then I love you. Dan, um, what's your I've, first I've, recommendation? But Before I get to that as an aside, uh, yes. to sort of talk about another podcast, I don't know if you listen to Chapa Trap House at all, Sam. No. They did, they did a screening of Gremlins 2 um, last year hmm. and they had Dante uh, come on for, a, for like a Q&A uh, before and after, like a chat, and they recorded that and put it up as an episode. Oh, wow. And it's absolutely brilliant. Like that oh, wow. conversation about, about like how he was persuaded to come back and do Gremlins 2 when he thought that the film shouldn't have a sequel and like loads and loads of really, really fantastic stuff. Um, so, yeah. Gremlins yeah. 2 featuring Joe Dante from Chapo Trap House. I'll send you a link, but oh, it's worth anyone checking out. I'll, I'll listen to that tonight. And uh, a general recommendation... Uh, there's a recent strong language and violent scenes episode of the podcast where um, they're talking about Gremlins 2, and that's a, a really good listen as well. So, uh, cool. What's next from you, Dan? Um, my first one oh, is yes, first a movie that I think I think you don't like, <laughs> and I hadn't seen until after I rewatched The Howling 2. Okay, uh, and I remembered I'd had it in my collection for ages. Mm. Uh, what, in fact, while you were while you were still living with us and uh and i just never got around to watching it uh and i'd always assumed it was a werewolf movie <laughs> it's not it's, it's not a werewolf movie um but it's the beast within which is felipe mora's uh earlier horror film yeah so the same director um and berman same effects guy did the effects for this as well and i think it's interesting because berman is he's like a he's a huge name in makeup effects uh and his like he's a, a legacy family like mm-hmm. you know generations of people have been like high-end effects artists in that family but they did do a lot more makeup maybe and prosthetics than creature stuff right but back when they did um beast within that was the same i think it was in production the same year as american wealth in london um so they were and don't get me wrong, the special effects are nothing compared to the special effects in America or in London. But it's really interesting to see them trying out all this stuff that at the time was was comparatively new. Beast Within is uh, darker and more serious. It's less like stupid fun uh, than Howling 2. And I would say you still probably want to watch it with a friend and a couple of drinks because it's not a great film right um but it's an interesting film and in places it's a fun film especially if you think about 
what they're doing rather than just what they're showing. It's one of these films where their ideas massively exceeded their budget. And it does have some really wacky, crazy practical special effects in it and some great, like, madcap event. But the like the conceit, the through line of what they're what they're trying to explain to you is so bonkers that yeah, I think I think it's fun, but it's definitely in that like it's not a great film, but it's a fun film. Brilliant, right? Well, uh, yeah, I don't think I've seen it, so I don't know. I don't think I've seen it, so I don't think I do hate it. Um, no, but I think I think just, you might hate it. It, it probably <laughs> it just falls into the category of werewolf films I've avoided, but it's not a werewolf film, so no, I it's not. Had, it's like a weird bum-headed monster baby film. Yeah, I think I probably had um, the same misconception. What is that? What's the film? I think I've probably confused it with the film where it's a murder mystery and the film stops the, the beast must die that's it there you go and that the the, uh, the only film to contain a werewolf break there you go exactly <laughs> there you go i've confused those two things um but i have uh, another film that isn't a werewolf film to recommend uh based on the howling 2 and it's another mainstream option but again there's a chance that people haven't seen this one fright night um now steve johnson uh did the effects on on friday yeah, yeah, yeah. and it feels like these movies are kind of weirdly spiritually connected obviously fright night is infinitely superior but yes. if there was kind of a, a universal uh, monster world in the 80s then there's a chance that um the howling too and and fright night would be in the same universe it feels like christopher lee could pop up in a club in this film quite easily um his white sunglasses yeah exactly um but yeah it's you know you don't need me to tell you what fright night is it's a magnificent vampire movie um for the love of god avoid the remake but do watch the original i think eureka maybe put it out on blu-ray um and it's a fantastic blu-ray it's got a i believe it's got a feature-length documentary on it um and uh it's just a beautiful print it really is a lovely job they did on that so um fright night is my final recommendation for the howling 2 dan what else do you have uh yeah i should have mentioned the beast within is on arrow uh, my next one is Spookies from 1986. Oh, wow. Uh, nice. actually watched this a little while ago uh, for the first time. It came out on Blu-ray from Vinegar Syndrome, I think. Um, and uh, Mike, who uh, produces and edits the podcast, came over with his flatmate uh, to watch it. And it was a, a very weird film. Uh, it doesn't know what it is tonally. It feels, 90% of it feels like a kid's horror film. Uh, which is a quite a fun like atmosphere. I like that mood, mm. uh, but then occasionally it has stuff in it that is just so unsuitable for children. It it throws the rest of it into a sort of confusing place. Uh, it's uh, it's a it's a confused grab bag. The least realistic group of friends, like these people, would not hang out with each other. Go uh, end up stuck. Like I think they break down. They end up in a mansion. It turns out that the mansion is owned by a sorcerer. He's going to try and steal their life force to resurrect his wife. Um, it's a uh, it's a real mess, but it's an absolute delight. And again, they're trying a lot of stuff with effects. There's a lot of like referential effects in there, um, which is quite fun. It's yeah, it's just a very weird film. It's really really it's another one you probably wouldn't like and i certainly wouldn't recommend watching just on your own yeah i i had this one on big box vhs um just as a collector's item because uh, obviously graham humphreys did the 
amazing artwork yeah. for the VHS. Um, but I have to admit, I did never watch it. Uh, so, yes. And I think maybe it's feels like it's been covered on Red Letter Media. I think they had it in one of their Best of the Worst episodes. So if you are intrigued to know more, then maybe search that out because... Uh, don't know if we've ever recommended Red Letter Media before, but... Um, yeah, they're good. But that's a good thing to watch while you're in social isolation. Speaking of social isolation, from the past couple of weeks, I watched Long Day's Journey Into Night. Um, oh, God, it's good, isn't it? It's fucking amazing. Um, and it's full of people you wouldn't want to be left in a house with. Um, it centres around... Uh, just uh, the worst family, well, not the worst family, you know, that people get up to worse in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But um, <laughs> <laughs> these these people are more kind of representative of people you've probably encountered in, in your real life. Um, you know, one of them's super mean. Um, one of them's, you know, kind of a booze hound. And uh, the the matriarch of the family has her own issues, which I won't go into because they are revealed over the course of the three-hour movie. Um, but yeah, the, the mum is played by Catherine Hepburn and holy shit, it is one of the greatest performances I've ever seen. She is so fucking good in this film. Everyone's good in the film. Um, it's also got Ralph Richardson and Jason Robards and Dean Stockwell, who kind of reminds me of Montgomery Clift in this film like the only time he's ever reminded me of that incredible actor is in this film but um yeah i feel like i'm starting to ramble a little bit uh i've been alone for too long but just watch long day's journey into night yes it is three hours long but you've got time now and uh eureka released it on blu-ray um last month so um yeah it's got some great special features there's a, a, a commentary on, on on the movie so um yeah long day's journey in tonight i'm gonna stop talking now damn what, <laughs> what i'm gonna you been watching i'm gonna i'm gonna pick up that blu-ray i didn't realize i was very enthusiastic at the beginning uh, i didn't realize you were talking about the 1962 long day's journey in tonight not the 2019 long day's journey in tonight <laughs> oh no yeah sorry i was uh, that's probably something that i should um you know which underline. is a snippet Two hours and 18 minutes. <laughs> yeah, no, this is the Sydney Lumet version. Yes, um, yeah, yeah. And I know some people say Sydney Lumet, but, and I used to too, um, but then I watched a round table where Christopher Nolan pronounced it Lumet and I figured that he knows. So, um, so Lumet it is. Anyway, what have you been watching? <laughs> um, I have put the brakes on buying physical media at the moment obviously right. uh, a lot of my work has dried up and yeah. uh we none of us know how long all this is going to go on yeah so i'm trying to be sensible and frugal and not as much of a spendthrift as i is that the right way or is that the other way i think that's anyway, the other way but anyway go on. not 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 to be as profligate as i perhaps um the rest of the time but i went to the workshop uh the other day to collect some stuff and uh a uh a a box of discs had turned up from the States that I had ordered a while ago. So I, uh, I was treated to a lovely influx of new stuff. Oh, that's good. Amongst them was the Mondo Macabro Blu-ray of Oasis of Fear, a.k.a. An Ideal Place to Kill, uh, a 1971 Umberto Lenzi uh, picture. It's probably the classiest picture Lenzi has ever directed. 
almost accidentally, I think, his hand was quite heavily forced. Uh, he wanted to make it uh, like his version of Easy Rider, but the financier wouldn't uh, fund a movie uh, about drug dealers, so they became English pornography smugglers. Uh, it stars Ray Lovelock, it's got an astonishing soundtrack, uh, and it sort of it drifts into Giallo territory a little mm-hmm. bit, but for the most part, it's not... Um, they are um, a, a young couple paying their way around Europe on holiday by selling smut. They get uh, pulled over by the police who tell them they've got 24 hours to leave Italy because they're perverts and reprobates. Um, they get robbed by a biker gang, don't have any money for petrol, decide to sell uh, like photo booth photos, nude photo booth photos of, the, of Lovelock's girlfriend. And then eventually decide to just steal some petrol to try and get out of the country, uh, end up at a house they think is empty. It's not empty. They get caught up in a very peculiar situation with a woman in this house in the middle of nowhere. The oasis that it refers to in the Italian title, Oasis of Fear, is just a house in the middle of nowhere. Uh, it just it seems to be a literal translation um, of, of what they call that. Yeah, it's got a great soundtrack. Love Lock's amazing. It's got a mad ending. I loved it. Great. There you go. <laughs> yeah i don't want to i don't want to spoil it too much i've i've already explained the first like 20 minutes so. yeah yeah no no that, they've definitely said enough to to intrigue people because uh i haven't seen this one and now i want to watch it so uh yeah that's that's a, a great one uh, one thing i would say is that the um i, I could imagine it, it could be relatively easily released in the uk mm. but the special features include some inserts of shots of the porn that they're selling that were included for different territories to cut in as, right. as like variants if they wanted and so the disc itself does have some like hardcore like right. clips on it right, right which obviously would mean it then couldn't be released in the uk with all that stuff on it yeah um, so i don't know if there'll be a uk disc anytime soon but the uh you don't have to watch those bits they're not even in the film exactly uh, but it is an amazing weird movie <laughs> nice one yeah great uh speaking of of weird movies i finally got around to watching collar boss the arrow video release of this film yeah which um you know in these in these days where we're not leaving the house i'm finding myself more willing to give things that i've kind of put to the bottom of the pile of chance um so yeah i've reordered things a little bit on my watch pile and i'm glad i did because i actually really enjoyed color boss a lot um it, it really surprised me it i mean it's you know there's a reason it, it hasn't um really even got a, a particular cult following it's got a kind of tiny following but it, it's mainly got a lot of kind of meh reviews on the internet um which i guess is why i kind of avoided it but i should have trusted uncle arrow video because um they have, <laughs> have plucked another gem from ex- obscurity um because from the opening moments like the the opening credit scene uh sequence sorry the the music is very 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 argento like insanely argento almost oh, like yeah. you know lift music argento where they've just sort of changed things a little bit but then uh, it, it goes into um a, a really kind of quite arresting opening sequence where 
all the angles are unusual. It's kind of a POV sequence where you're kind of in in the in the perspective of of a character. I won't say which one because that's kind of revealed over the course of the film. But um, yeah, a lot of really really interesting shot choices. Um, and then you get to the kind of main action itself, and it's very uh, meta, very kind of scream in places which would make sense as well well i was about to say it makes sense that it would be influenced by scream because uh it came out in 99 and scream was obviously what was it 96 97 but it precursed uh saw um because it's very very um i don't want to say torture porn but um it is that kind of thing um but in kind of a, a fresh and unusual way um and i it does make me wonder if if people um saw this on the festival circuit and it did inspire a wave of films um but yeah it's really unique not the best twist at the end but it's done enough good work up until that point um to to earn uh, a place on your watch list yeah i, I can definitely recommend watching color boss uh, the lovely job that arrow have done there yeah that's it for nice. my recommendations what have you got to finish dan uh my last one is a 1958 croatian movie <laughs> called uh h8 uh if you want to find it on imdb it's h hyphen eight uh dot 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 uh it's named that's after a tony movie right letters. Uh, no, Tony hadn't seen it. I showed it to him. What? Which I was very pleased about. It's oh, all, yeah, I always feel incredibly proud when I get to show Tony a movie he's not seen. In fact, you know what? Did he tweet about it after we uh, after we watched it together? No, he didn't. Um, but uh, for some reason, oh, okay. it's one that I thought I saw at his house. But anyway, go go on, go on. It's oh, it's it's amazing. H uh, eight refers to the last, the first two letters of a hit and run driver's number plate. Uh, and it's inspired by a true story, which was a, a hit and run driver who caused a head-on collision uh, on a, like a rainy road between a, a, a delivery truck and a bus full of people. And the movie almost plays out like a Final Destination film in that we see the like the crash at the beginning with a bit a voiceover kind of explaining everything, and then we go right back to everyone getting on the bus, and we know which seats die we know like who's going to die based on the seats but then you know all this drama is a human drama is unfolding on the bus as people move around and and swap seats and and so on (laughs) um it's it's a really uh it's actually quite a touching film in places as well Mm -hmm. like there's some quite impactful emotional stuff um but also it's chock-a-block with really amazing like inventive low-budget film techniques um, most of the vehicle exteriors are done with miniature vehicles on a um, like a treadmill that's had a road drawn on it. <laughs> oh yeah, wow! So they can show ve- vehicles like weaving in and out of each other in rain without having to go out and do very expensive like GV sequences. Yeah, it's really really nice. It's on YouTube. Uh, I don't think there's a an official release of it uh, in the in the West, but. But it's absolutely worth tracking down uh, if you if you like two hour 
black and white Croatian cinema. <laughs> who doesn't? Who doesn't? Uh, yeah. Who doesn't? Who shouldn't? Exactly. Great. Yeah, great recommendation. I will search that out myself. Brilliant. All right. Well, uh, shall we move on to extra features? Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. And extra features. We have an extra feature, right? We do indeed. Tell us about yeah, it. Yeah, so when I was in Toronto last year, uh, I got invited to attend a class. My my key uh, prosthetics artist, uh, Tracy Loder, on Possessor, who is a wonderful person and a fantastic makeup artist, um, is very involved with the Makeup Effects Union over there. And they do classes for their members regularly and they bring people in, like high-end people, to come and do classes. Um, And Scott Wheeler, who is one of the two guys who is on the Arrow Disc talking about Howling 2, came into town and was doing a class on hand-laying hair, which is obviously very appropriate given how much hair he had to hand lay during that sex scene in the howling too um <laughs> and i was chatting to him afterwards and he told me a fantastic story about his time on set uh, and i thought well that's not on the disc <laughs> so i'm gonna contact scott and see if he'll talk to me and he very generously gave up some of his time to to talk to me he goes into he touches on some of the stuff that's on the disc uh, with a little bit of extra detail uh, and mm. then there's some unique stuff as well but yeah he, he so he was very kind to to talk to me and here that is I'm joined now uh, by the fantastic Scott Wheeler, whose work you will have seen um, uh, across films from many decades, from the Star Trek films through to the most recent, uh, more recent stuff he's done on films like Us and Get Out. Um, I was lucky enough to run into Scott while I was in Toronto. Um, and so when we had the uh, the Howling 2 come up for the podcast i knew i had to talk to scott again scott hello thank you for joining me hello thank you for having me oh it's yeah it's very nice to uh, very nice to chat to you in these uh, these peculiar times um i guess to to jump sort of straight in would you mind telling me a little bit about how you came to be attached to the howling too certainly um i was very new in the business i had been uh working, interning at the Berman studio under Tom Berman for about a year. And work had kind of dried up there. And his brother, Sonny, who ran a company called Cosmic Kinetics, had The Howling 2 and uh, Clan of the Cave Bear. And uh, so he hired me for Clan of the Cave Bear. And then after doing a little bit of work on Clan of the Cave Bear, he moved me over to The Howling Part 2. Nice. Okay, so and so you say you were very uh, very new. How old were you? Don't mind me asking. I was 22 years old, and I was just at the point where I was kind of willing to actually call myself a makeup artist rather than saying, "Gee, I want to be a makeup artist." <laughs> and had you done any on set work before this this particular like these jobs or? Not for prosthetics. I had done one movie that was sort of a kind of a real movie, kind of a student film, and it was just straight makeup and character makeup. And I had done uh, shop work for Tom. And really that was, again, it was an internship. I was learning by doing and being instructed. So I, I was extremely green. Tell me a little bit about the, the shoot. Where was the, uh, where was the photography for the Howling done? Well, we did it in uh, the former country of Czechoslovakia. Uh, we were both in... 
the Czech Republic and Slovakia after they separated because we did do some traveling. But uh, it was behind the Iron Curtain in 1984. It was uh, an interesting experience. Wow. What was, it, uh, what was it like when you first arrived? It was a bizarre mix of old Europe and that Russian communist dismal uh gosh what what word can i put to it it was it was gray it was depressing and uh lifeless but you couldn't you couldn't miss the the beauty of the old europe that was still there and was uh were you part of a was there a big team there how many of you were there on the effects team no we weren't a big team at all uh i was the first one to arrive and imagine that first one to arrive one year in the business um, about a week after I got there, Jack Bricker, who was heading up the um, the location department, showed up. And then shortly after that, Steve Johnson came and it was pretty much the three of us uh, throughout the run of the movie. Sonny Berman came out for a couple weeks towards the end. And uh, it was great to have Sonny out there. And that was it. That was It was mostly the three of us for a very short while, the four of us. Wow. Uh, were there any uh, Were there any moments where you were handed something where you thought, this is, I'm not, I'm not ready for this? Pretty much constantly. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it put me on edge. It was exciting. It, it was scary. I... Uh, did a pretty decent job of faking my way through the whole thing, and I've kind of been faking my way through my whole career since then. <laughs> I think that's how everyone everyone operates. <laughs> uh, there's a good friend of mine uh, who, at the end of every day when we're doing makeup, he, he would just look around and say, well, we fooled him again. <laughs> so uh, I remember you telling me a rather fantastic story about your living accommodations while you were there on the shoot. Would you, uh, would you mind going over that again for me? Sure. Well, we, we did a lot of locations, but uh, the last location that we did was this um, beautiful, it, it, I, I can only describe it as medieval. It may have been Renaissance time, I don't know, but it was really old, really old uh, Czech village. And uh, you can see a lot of it throughout the um, the movie. And we didn't do much to, to dress it up. It's pretty much what you see. In fact, the hotel that I ended up staying in is featured in the movie. That was something I realized in, in reviewing the movie the other night. But uh, the way it went down was uh, Steve Johnson and I, we were the youngest on the crew. And we were sort of the lowest on the pecking order for some reason. And... Um, Two things had happened. We were staying at a hotel that was about 80 miles away from the village. It was a really depressing, communist-built hotel. But it was better than what the local Czech crew was getting because they were stuck in these army barracks, and they were in one room on army cots. And uh, it seemed kind of grim for them, too. But uh, John Daly came out. And Christopher Lee and his wife decided that they wanted to stay with the rest of the crew. They had a very special, luxurious royal suite in the village. So we were two rooms short at uh, the hotel that was 80 miles outside of uh, the, the village. So Steve doubled up with Jack, 
and I was going to double up with Sonny because we were the low ones on the pecking order. But before doing that, when we were in the village shooting, I decided to take a look at these army barracks and see if they were really as bad as everyone was saying. So I went up to the production manager and, and said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about staying here instead of doubling up with, with Sonny. Can I take a look at the place? And he says, sure. And he gave me the directions. And it was the hotel. And uh, <laughs> so I'm looking at this. This doesn't look like army barracks. And, and they handed me this key with this car, wooden carved keychain on it. And then I went to the door of the room, and it's like, well, it's a room. And it's this amazing, ornate, wood-carved door, and I open it up, and it is the royal suite of this hotel. <laughs> uh, crystal chandeliers, uh, a down silk sheets. So I kind of looked at it, went back to the production manager, said, yeah, I think I'll stay there. That's great. He says, fantastic. You got it for the week. Wow. And so that... Yeah, that's how I spent my time in that village. So was very that... quietly, <laughs> <laughs> keeping yourself to yourself. You didn't take the opportunity to have a load of massive parties. Oh well, I don't know if we should get into that. Yeah, we we had some fun with the local uh, Czech extras that you can see in the orgy scene. Oh God, did I just say that? <laughs> but uh, I, I kept it to myself as far as the English and American crew were concerned, because being the low guy in the pecking order, I knew that would disappear quickly. Did you ever get rumbled? On the very last day, when we had worked 38 straight hours, and a couple people in the crew, including the producer, Steve Lane, literally dragged me to the room. I was that tired. And then when they got to the room, Steve Lane looked around and said, What the hell? You've been staying here? Oh, jeez. And, yeah, I knew right then and there he would have taken it. He absolutely would have taken it if he had known. That's awesome. I'm going to ask you some uh, some sort of film specific uh, questions. Was there a uh, was there a feeling that there was a, a sort of a, a baton being passed from the uh, from the effects in the first one? Was that something that was conscious on set? No, not at all. We were operating with a much smaller budget, and uh, we were. We knew we had our backs against the wall as far as trying to make the stuff look as good as we can make it look. It, it, it was a very different movie from top to bottom, and, and we knew that. So did that take the form of having to fix things on the fly, or did it take the form of knowing exactly what was going to go where so that there was, you know, there was no leeway in anything you were doing? Well, the latter was the plan. We, we put together the makeups and, and the suits with this very specific plan on how they would be used and when they would be used. And Philippe Mora, the director, had other ideas. Okay. And so he started using background stuff for close-ups and asking for things that were never planned. And that was when we started uh, sort of shooting from the hip, improvising, winging it, trying to make things work that weren't meant to work the way they were being used. And uh, that's when it got um, pretty wild. Did you have a facility to actually manufacture anything there, or were you, you just working with what you've been given? Well, we, we had, but we didn't have a facility. We were very mobile. We would move from one location to another, set up a shop, and then work out of that. 
which reminds me of a story that I told on the other, on the, the DVD. One of our working areas was a way station, and we were put in the booth, I, the monitoring booth, I think, where the trucks would come in and sign in. So it was really small. It was about 10 feet by 15 feet. And um, it was a surrounded, it was completely glass windowed, as, as any sort of booth that you go up to that's a toll booth would be. And so we set up in there, and there was uh, some sort of caretaker, and she was a, a very large, very elderly woman, very friendly, didn't speak a word of English. And then there was a beehive in there. <laughs> And so while we're trying to calmly work and not get stung, she's running around, tripping over us, tripping over our gear, tripping over everything, swatting bees. And every time she killed a bee, she gave us a big grin. Did you did you ever discover what the purpose of the beehive was? If she was swatting these bees, it sounds like she's not trying to keep them. No, I think it was just one of those situations where the bees made a home there and, and no one did anything about it. Oh, wow, okay. So like a, yeah, like an, an organic hive. Yeah, no, it wasn't, no, there were no beekeepers there. It was one of those <laughs> big globs in the upper corner of uh, honeycombs. And uh, I didn't want to get, we didn't, none of us got stung luckily, but um, it was a very intense day. That's, yeah, that's pretty crazy. And how was, uh, how was Steve to work with in his, in his early years? We had a lot of fun. We were the two young bachelors in the Czech in Czechoslovakia, and uh, so yeah, we had a lot of fun. Uh, Steve and I have worked together numerous times over the years, and uh, uh, yeah, I enjoy working with him. I guess I should ask you if you have anything you want to share, whether it's other podcasts or classes you might be doing or anything like that coming up. You want to tell people about anything coming up that I'd like to talk about? Oh my what? goodness, um, unemployment for the next four months. Thank yeah. you, uh, <laughs> pandemic. Yeah, that's right. Uh, my, my, yeah, my 2020 goal is to be alive when the year is over. <laughs> that is a fair goal. Uh, but actually, I, I did just finish a project that I think has the chance to be a really, I mean, a real work of art. And it's called One Night in Miami. Okay. It's, it's an imagining of a real event. Uh, the real event was, uh, it, it, had, it takes place on the day that uh, Cash, well, was at the time, Cassius Clay first won the heavyweight championship from Sonny Liston. And there was this period of time between the end of the fight, the big celebration that's been well documented in the cafe, where he, Malcolm X, uh, Sam Cooke, and Jim Brown spent, spent about two hours together in this hotel room. And no one knows what was said and done in that hotel room. So this is based on a play that sort of imagines what could have happened and uses it as a vehicle to express very, a number of different perspectives on civil rights movement at the time. And uh, it, it's, it was beautifully acted, uh, beautifully directed by Regina King. And uh, I, I think it has the potential to be uh, an extraordinary movie. And, of course, our challenge was to make the four actors look as much as possible like the real-life characters they were playing. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's always fun with uh, heavy look-alike makeups are a very tricky, uh, very specific area of the effects world. 
Yes, and we were doing it with very little time and very little money, but sometimes those pressures lead to good choices. So hopefully people will like what we did. That's awesome. Well, I look forward to it greatly. Thank you again so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure. There we go. Wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Well done on getting that. That is fantastic. It's And is that our first ever like extra feature that could technically have been an extra feature on the disc itself? I think it could be. Possibly. Oh, I was thinking we have done a bad film before. <laughs> We've done Doom Asylum. Oh, shit. Yeah. I've, see, I completely blanked that out of my mind. I think I probably had a rant about bad films then too. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Arrow, I retract my earlier compliment. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, right. I'll leave that there. Uh, should we do social media? Yeah. Uh, I'm at 13fingerfx. Uh, on Twitter, it's mostly just me putting slow motion footage of my dogs running into the garden every morning. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's it. That's all ne- I'm doing. Never stop. Never stop doing that. Oh, it's it's quite fun. Yeah. I basically have to, I come downstairs, I open the living room door, and then I have to get through the house to the kitchen, unbolt the door, get out into the garden, and get the camera low <laughs> before they make it to the door behind me, which is, it doesn't always work. <laughs> Look, it's worth the effort. Just never stop. <laughs> this is your job now. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. It's odd, it's odd the roles we have taken in the apocalypse. Yeah. Well, speaking, <laughs> of, speaking of which, I am going to give my first push to my YouTube channel, Deep Cut Videos, um, first one for a, a long while, because in these uh, never-ending days, I've resurrected the channel um, to share some little bits and pieces of music I've been making. So uh, that is under the title VHS Death Scene, Death Scene, all one word, which is the, um, the, the name I used when I used to make electronic music. Um, God, how long ago would that have been? Like 13 years ago, something like that. Um, wow. Yeah, if you can find any of that stuff. It, it was online for a time, if these websites still exist that you know share mp3s and i had a few out there in the internet somewhere but you don't need to search for that old stuff because there's new stuff that i'm making to pass the time so go over to deep cut videos and have a look at any uh, vhs death scene um, video that i've made um, because i'm making little videos to go with each new song so there you go Um, hopefully that'll keep you entertained for you know a minute and a half and two minute at a time because they're all very short songs but um there you go yeah uh that's it isn't it we don't that's everything we don't need to say anything else right in that case it is uh it falls upon me it's my solemn duty to thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time bye 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 thanks, bye. 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 thanks.